All right, so the funniest thing to me in that is Isaac McCool says, my mom loves to cook. If you've ever met Sarah, Sarah doesn't really cook. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, he really only likes the blue box mac and cheese, and she didn't even do a good job at that, and he made his dad make it for him. <laughs> Ah, uh, so, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know what animal my mom would want to be either, but, but I think the best answer was because uh, she does a lot of things and I can't narrow it down, so that's, that's the best answer right there. Uh, I do have one announcement as, as we start. Um, the third Sunday of every month, eFamilies is trying to do some sort of activity that the entire church can be involved in. So everybody from kids all the way through adults after each service. So last month, they did this paper airplane day. You probably saw it if you were here, you know, seeing how far your airplane could go. The next one is going to be an art Sunday. Don't worry. They're kids. If you're horrible, they're probably just as bad as you are. But hang out after service. There's going to be a couple of art projects that they're doing and they want to do with you. So they want to extend that out to you. And usually we're not going to announce it. We're just going to say the day of, hey, this is what we're doing. Just kind of keep that in the back of your head, though. Third Sunday of the month, the e-kids want to do something with everybody at Element. So if you show up, it'd be great. Be a whole lot of fun. All right, if you are new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. And if you open up the inside, you'll get some notes that reflect on what we talk about today, some questions to talk to one another about. On the back, you get the verses we're going to hit. On the bottom, you get a place to write down some notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Once you download that, it will just say Bible. You click on more and then events in version. We will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. And I got to tell you, most of the time people are like, hey, it's Mother's Day. Do you got a special message? Nope. Uh, we are still in the book of Galatians. My present to you is we are going through and we're going to finish this book. You're welcome. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Galatians chapter 4, verse 31, and it says, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And I'll explain what that means. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us how to be a people who live in this world in a way that glorifies you because we understand your goodness and grace that has first been given to us. And we would then begin to live that out in ways that glorifies you, uh, that would love those around us in ways that steer people directly to who you are, and we'd be able to speak of that good news, the good news of your rescue that has been given to every single one of us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing a series, the New Testament book of Galatians, and I guess I could say my Mother's Day present is we're going to finish chapter four. We have been in chapter four, if you don't know, a very long time. So today we're going to finish that. Yay, you're welcome. But we're going to finish it with kind of a confusing set of verses. And you're going to be okay because I'm going to explain it. But if you have been here for some of Galatians, this might make a little bit of sense to you. So basically today what I have is two tangents and one main point. It's my three-point sermon. <laughs> Two tangents, one main point. All right, so up through chapter four, 
Paul has been doing his best to show what the gospel truly is because there are these false teachers that have come into the area of Galatia. And what they have been doing is speaking directly opposite of what Paul has said. So Paul goes into this area. He plants probably between four and six churches. That's what most historians say that he planted there. And he talks about the good news. And as soon as he leaves, as I said, those false teachers show up. And to boil it down, the false teachers said what you need to do is believe in Jesus, follow the and obey the law, and as a result, you will then have salvation. Now, what Paul taught was, you trust Jesus, you are saved. And out of that, you'll want to follow the things that God leads you into. And there is a huge difference if you look at that. There's a difference between belief plus obedience equals salvation versus trust and salvation result in a type of obedience as we follow God. If you have a Bible, open to Galatians chapter 4. If you're using one of the ones at Element, that's on page 632. Now, I believe that there are times and places where we should fight for correct doctrine, especially when the gospel is at stake. And here, Paul, he's a little bent out of shape, but he's not bent out of shape because the Galatians disagree with him. He's bent out of shape because they are leaving the true meaning of God's salvation and how they can live in the world. So in the last two weeks, I've showed you that Paul is almost weeping over the sadness he has for the Galatians, because for him, the gospel is life and death for the people. And so he's showing them his heart. Galatians 4 verses 19 and 20, Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So for Paul, when he talks about the truth, the truth isn't some sort of blunt weapon. For him, it's like a scalpel in the hands of a doctor. It's not a prison shank to take somebody out. It's a way to say, you have this cancer. Let me help cut that out. It's for precision. And so Paul is trying to cut out their misunderstanding of salvation. And when we get to the verses that we cover today, you have to understand that Paul has started sharing his heart. Paul doesn't start with these things of, I feel like a mother over you. Happy Mother's Day. I feel like a mother over you and then jump into his next theological point. It is all connected with how he feels because Paul tells them his heart because he says, I say these things because I want to heal you. I, want, I don't want to bludgeon you. I want to bring you to the place of the truth and I want that to come through our friendship so you would trust me. And so the whole text now ends up being what it means to be fruitful in the world. The difference between living in shame versus living in restoration and grace, the difference between law and grace and how we view what salvation truly is. So Paul moves from, I'm like a distraught mom to Galatians 4 verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now when Paul says under the law there, what that means is you're taking this law, you're taking this set of rules and you're trying to make yourself acceptable by them. Now, we do this with one another. We do this with maybe some organizations in the world. You follow these things, and then you are now acceptable to us. Well, that's what these false teachers were telling the people in Galatia. You follow all these rules and laws of the Old Testament, and then God will love you. God will like you. God will bring you into his family. And trying to do that, that's what it means to be under the law. You're under all of that stuff. And Paul has called the Galatians foolish for doing this because he says you are saved by the grace of God, that God has given you 
His righteousness because of what Christ has done. And what Paul is really saying is you're trying to put a weight on the law that it was never meant to carry, this salvific weight. The law can't hold that. Only grace can. So this is what Paul says. Verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. So we're going to talk about two sons, two moms, two covenants. I guess it does work for Mother's Day. But first, here's my first side tangent. Okay, so just go with me in this. Sometimes people read Paul's words here and they misunderstand what he's saying. Uh, the, the word here that Paul uses is, I'm looking at this allegorically. It's where we get our word allegorically actually from. And so people say, I don't need to really look at the Bible literally. I just have to look at it metaphorically. Paul here is referring specifically to some a few chapters in Genesis, uh, really Genesis 16, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and some people say, well, Paul doesn't take the Bible literally, so I don't need to either. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is taking things literally, but also symbolically. And so you're like, well, how do I know the difference when I read the Bible, what I'm supposed to do? I sometimes think I should have done this message last summer during our Never Read a Bible Verse series, so we can kind of talk about context. But you kind of start where Paul does. I'm in the pains of childbirth. We know Paul's not in the pains of childbirth literally because he's a dude. He can't have a baby. But He's saying metaphorically, childbirth is real, and this is how I feel wanting to see Christ formed in you. Paul is trying to find a way to connect them with the truth in a way that will reach them. And hopefully we all do this to some degree. Sometimes I will talk to you, especially on a day, say, like Easter, and we talk about resurrection. And I talk about how resurrection speaks into our own lives, that God longs to bring us from death into life. And you may be in a very dark place, but there is light in that because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm applying the gospel to your life in a, from a literal historical event, but also in a figurative way, relating the story of the gospel and, and the resurrection altogether. And I use it to show God does bring new things to life. That doesn't mean I don't think the resurrection literally happened because I do. And so when Paul says allegorically, you know, figuratively, it doesn't mean he doesn't think that it literally happened. And so it kind of drives me nuts because I have been in conversations with people sometimes. And they said, well, our disagreement is because we just read the Bible differently. I read it metaphorically. Uh, you read it literally. So I guess we just have this. And that's like the end of it. But it's not the end of the conversation. It can't be. It's like this. If I wrote a letter or a text or an email to you, the purpose of that would be for me to get across what I wanted to say to you. Does that make sense? Okay, so imagine I'm talking to my gospel community and I have an issue in my life and they got on me about this. And I wrote to you in a text or an email or a letter and I said, oh, they really beat me up this week. And you then said, oh, that's horrible. I need to call the cops. They're beating Aaron up. And so I go to Nick's house or Jeremy's house and I show up and the cops are there and they're handcuffing them. I'm like, oh, what's going on? And they say, they have been accused of violence against Aaron. And I'd be like, I'm Aaron, and that didn't happen, so what's going on? Well, we have it in writing. We have written proof that you said they were beating you up. And I would say, no, that's not what I meant. I meant, yes, they, they got on me for something, and they needed to, and so it's literal and it's figurative, but them beating me up was not something you were supposed to share with the cops because my intent wasn't they are beating me up. It was they're beating me up, right? 
Okay, all right, so let me go with this. The letter was not to get across your meaning of what you think I was trying to say. It was to get across my meaning. And if you didn't understand my meaning, then you should actually ask me what I meant. When we come to the Bible, however we want, that's what we're doing to God. Have you ever written a text to somebody or an email to somebody and they read it the exact opposite of how you meant it? Yes. You ever done that to somebody else? Of course you have. We have all done it. And we, and we get so irritated when somebody does it to us. And yet we do it to God all the time and we think it's okay. And it's not. The whole point is not what we want to say. What does God want to say in his words? This is why interpretation is important. When we read the Bible, we don't come at it and say, oh, I feel like it says this to me. We want to get to what it actually says, what Paul actually says. And today, again, there is this huge push when people read the Bible and it's not what does the Bible say. It's, what does the Bible say to me? For us, what is Paul saying? What is God saying? That's the issue. And this is really great. If you understand the context of what Paul says here, it's actually pretty simple and it's not that complicated. Two sons, two mothers, two covenants, and we want to see how it all relates to see what Paul is actually saying. So let's go back. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Just kind of remember that line. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem of Above is free, and she is our mother. So, why is Paul bringing up Abraham and these women and, and these covenants? Because these people in Galatia are being told to be part of the family of God, you become children of Abraham. And actually, if you read through the scriptures, we, by faith, get to be children of Abraham. Why is that a big deal? Because this is where God made the promise to this guy. You're going to have as many uh, kids as the grands of, uh, grands of sand on the, on the seashore. It's like there will be so many people that come because of what I do in your life. And so being a child of Abraham was a really, really big deal, a high privilege. Uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. And they say to Jesus, who do you think you're talking to? We're children of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you're children of the devil. And it's funny, and nobody thinks it's funny, but, but I do. Here, the Galatians, they are pagans, they are Greeks, and Paul says, you get adopted in. You get to be part of this family. But now these false teachers come in and say, well, not really. You need to live like Jews, children of Abraham, by birth, in order to be part of that family. And so if you were a Jew, which the Galatians were not, but the false teachers were, these are fighting words. Paul like almost open hand slaps them here with that phrase. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Why? Because Hagar is seen as the mother of the Gentiles. And these false teachers despise the Gentiles. They're trying to convert the Galatians to be like Jews. Because you got to do that to be children of Abraham. These uh, false teachers would not view Hagar as their mother. But Paul just said to them, Jerusalem, present Jerusalem, stronghold of, of Jewish faith and practice, those are children of Hagar. Why? Because they're enslaved to the law. 
That's why they're enslaved. So Paul is subversively eroding their confidence in the flesh. Verse 27, he says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's a miracle birth. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Paul is reminding them, you are children of Abraham. That is through faith, through the promise that God has done in Christ. You are adopted in. It is those who don't understand grace. Those are the ones who are attacking you in this moment. They're from Ishmael. They're from Hagar. That is huge. The false teachers were trying to convince the Galatians to put themselves under the Old Testament law, to base their understanding of God's love and God's forgiveness and approval of them on their behavior. And when we do that, we become a people who become slaves to modifying our own behavior, which does not free us up. It does not take us an intimate relationship with God. It puts us in a place where we're trying to pursue relationship on our own terms, on our own way. Verse 30, Paul says, but what does the scripture say? Hey, that's a good question, right? What does the Bible actually say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And what he basically says is, cast out the false teachers. That's what he says. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So Paul says, okay, you want to talk about being children of Abraham? Good, let's talk about that. There are two sons. One was Ishmael. Ishmael is born in the ordinary way. One was Isaac. Isaac is born through a miracle, through a promise. God came to Abraham and Sarah, and God says, I'm going to give you a child. And from this child, we'll have a son to a son to a son to a son, and eventually leads to my son, Jesus. From this child, you're going to have a great family, many descendants, a great nation. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and it did not come about yet. And so they get really old. Sarah's like 70, 80, 90s, getting really old. And so they start to think, it's going to be a miracle if we have this baby. Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. It's going to be a miracle. So what we forget is in this culture, Sarah would have a whole lot of shame placed upon her because she didn't have a child yet. The only way to remove shame was to have a baby. And in that day, it was possible and even legal if the husband slept with the servant like the slave of the wife, then the child of the slave woman could be legally adopted as the child of the wife. Now, we have this promised miracle here because for any woman to have a baby at 70, 80, 90, right, that, that's a miracle, even though most men can typically father children at that age. So Abraham has this choice. He can trust God or he can go and try and get a child through his own human ability. He could wait and trust God or do it on his own. Sarah decides, you know what? Maybe God wants us to help him out a bit. It's been a while. So what? let's say we do this. We get the child of the promise through our own efforts, and then all will be copacetic and good. Now, she didn't probably say copacetic, but you know, that's kind of the words that, that she said. We're not going to wait for God. And when you don't wait for God, you do it on your own. That's a way for you to stay in control. Oh, God, I did it myself. I'll take care of it. I'll be my own king of my own destiny. So Sarah kind of says to Abraham and Hagar, I don't have a child. I can't have one, but you can. So let's do it that way. So Abraham and Sarah use their own human ability. And through that human ability, they get Ishmael, this child. But, and this is a big but, and I cannot lie. Uh, this is right here. <laughs> Later, God does come 
and God does bring a child through old lady Sarah, and they have this child named Isaac. And Paul says, look at it in history, but also as a metaphor. See, what he's saying is you've got to see what God is doing. And this metaphor is not too big of a stretch. Two sons, two mothers, two covenants. Really, it's two ways of relating to God. Paul is relating the Galatians a truth that is spoken of throughout the Scripture, and it comes out of Israel's history. These two sons are literally two ways to relate to God. One, do I earn my relationship with God? Do I do life on my own, on my own ability? That's Hagar, Ishmael. Or do I wait and let God do what He is going to do in my life? Do I trust Him completely for everything? Am I dependent on His ability and not my ability? And that's what God promises with this child named Isaac. Paul says, when you go the human way, every single time you end up in slavery, even while thinking you're free, you end up in slavery. And you got to be honest because there's a lot of people, when they look at the Bible, they hold Abraham up as a paragon of faith. And in some places he really is, but in other places he is a complete mess. There's a lot of people today who try and always explain away the evils of what happened to people. In the, oh, they weren't really that bad. They did this because of that. No, the point is everybody is a mess. Everybody needs God's redemption. Everybody needs God's rescue. People will say, have you read the Bible? All the people in it are terrible. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody but Jesus is terrible. And that's kind of the point. It's not supposed to turn you off to the Bible. It's supposed to turn you on to who God is. Yeah, I'm a mess too. Just like Abraham. Yes, I need Jesus. I'll tell you, in our culture, there is nothing worse than what Abraham did here. He exploited both Sarah and Hagar. And yes, again, Sarah's idea, but it's no excuse for sin. Hagar, she is young and she is beautiful. Sarah's 70s, 80s, and Abraham's like, you want me to have sex with your hot maid? Okay. And he goes and he does it. It's wrong. And it is the power of position. Do you think Hagar had the right or the ability to say no in the midst of this? Probably not in that culture. But again, in their mind, it's like, oh, this is okay. This is how it works. But it's still not okay. Now, Hagar, she's fertile. But what you see is when she has that baby, she will then try to supplant Sarah as Abraham's main squeeze. He'll try to supplant her. Hagar becomes self-righteous. When old lady Sarah does get that baby, like God promised, there starts this schism. And Ishmael, Hagar's child, is older. He's the half-brother. And yet Isaac is the child of the promise. And so he becomes the favorite. How does that make Ishmael feel? Rejected, right? And when parents reject kids, kids don't blame the parents. They blame the other siblings. And this is what happens. And Ishmael starts blaming Isaac. And he starts picking on him and probably beating him up. And at one point, it's like, this kid is going to kill the other kid if we don't get this kid out of here. And they do. They have to send Ishmael and Hagar away. By following his own human ability, Abraham messed up his life. And again, this is why we don't look to people for our salvation, because we mess things up all the time. And Paul says, when we try to use our own ability, what we do is we bring shame to the places in our lives, because none of us have places we feel like we measure up everywhere. And so there is shame and slavery every time we go our own way. All right, now just set that here. That's kind of my main point. We're going to come back to that second side tangent right now. One of the things that was so appealing about Christianity in Paul's day was it raised the value of women. And I know people, when they talk about the Bible, they say, oh, you know, the, the Bible denigrates women. It, it actually does not. Women flocked to it. They loved it. 
You know, Christianity comes out of Judaism and the scriptures and all that. But one of the things Christianity said into Paul's culture was you don't have sex outside of marriage. Now, we hear that in our culture like, oh, how overbearing. How dare God say something like that? This was so liberating to women in that day because polygamy was rampant. And for men, for men, men could have sex with anyone, anywhere, anytime, anyway, and it was all okay. And women, especially married women, could not. Christianity comes along and it says one man, one woman, one lifetime, that's the only place for sex to take place. And you know what happened? Families got stronger. Marriages became stronger. Women felt empowered because pagan sexual practices were different than Christian ones, and they led to places that were incredibly cruel. And if you look at our culture today, we have some of these practices coming back, and people feel liberated, and usually it's very cruel to one of the people in the midst of it. And marriages and families are actually starting to become weaker the farther we go from what God calls us to. In history, when epidemics come along and people start dying, you know what the pagans would do? Pagans would take their family members, their loved ones, and they would stick them outside the the doors so they would die outside so they wouldn't get sick, whatever those people had. Christians would come along and they would nurse their own sick and they would even grab these people on the street and bring them in. This is where hospitals got started. Infant side is normal. In the Roman Empire, there were 140 men for every 100 women. In the church, it's like 50-50, 100-100, It's like that. And do you know why there's this imbalance outside the church? Because they look down on women. If your baby was born and it was a girl, it was normal to kill it. Roman census figures show that of a town in Jesus' day that had 600 families in it, those families had 7 to 10 children, and only 6 of those families had more than one daughter. It's crazy. We have a letter from an Alexandrian businessman who's away on business, and he writes his wife, and this is what he says. I hope I'll be back in three weeks. By the way, if the baby is born while I'm away, if it's a girl, throw it out. And they would. And they would. Christianity comes along, and it says every single human Life is important. It comes along and it says, sex is sacred. And it comes along and it says, there should be no double standards. And so when people started following Jesus, and they start to see what the Bible actually teaches and what it says, they look at their past life, and they start to have shame over that past life. And today, there are all these movements that people go through, and there's all this shame that we have because of what our parents did or our parents didn't do, kind of like Ishmael and Isaac. Today, some people, they mock therapy movements because they don't understand it, and they'll say, you're just blaming society or you're just blaming your parents for your decisions. And from a Christian point of view, there's a lot of places where therapy isn't wrong because it, doesn't, because it takes shame too seriously. I think it's wrong because it doesn't take shame seriously enough as the scriptures do, because every single one of us, the scriptures teach, has this deep sense of feeling naked, of vulnerable, that we don't want people to really know us. So we build these walls around ourselves so people can't get in. We do something stupid. We say something dumb. And we're like, oh, no, I didn't. This is really your fault. And we just kind of push at other people all the time because we know we are vulnerable inside and we have this shame. We know there's something wrong with us. And yes, bad parenting, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar can make it worse. Good parenting might make it better. But inside there is this thing And a lot of movements in our world do not want to acknowledge that. The reason I think that we run around and feel like I got to be sexually attractive or I've got to be successful or I've got to make money or I've got to be part of this is we're all trying to cover our shame, whatever it is. Now, this goes back to what Paul is saying to the Galatians, okay, with Sarah in the midst of this. Ready? 
We do everything we can to hide ourselves from ourselves, what we think of ourselves, what other people think about us, a self-loathing, a self-criticism, and something comes along and triggers whatever that is, and we feel like we're in hell. And that is Isaac, Ishmael, Sarah, Hagar, Abraham, and the Galatians, and us. The Galatians come out of this paganism, and their consciences become enlightened by the Holy Spirit, and they see all of these, all of these things. They truly look at themselves. They used to have all these rituals in their lives that they would do to try and rid themselves of their shame, but it never really worked. But it's like, I'm so used to the rituals, and Paul says, you are not saved by your record. You are not saved by what you have done. You are saved by what Christ has done on your behalf. He has given you a righteousness and a relationship with God that is not dependent upon you. So you can stop striving. You can stop trying to find the ritual. You can simply rest and trust what God has done. You are children of God. You are children of Abraham. Paul leaves. And the next thing you know, along comes these false teachers. Oh, that's what Paul said? That's not really true. Paul called you children of Abraham? Well, no, you got a long way to go. We Jews, for years, have been following these other rituals over here, and now you need to follow those to really feel clean. And the Galatians fall directly into it because for much of their lives, that's what they did. They were involved in rituals. And now here's this other set of rituals. Oh, okay, we'll start doing those. And Paul is like, no, stop the ritual. You were living in freedom. Your lives were changing because of the hope and the grace that you had in the person of Jesus Christ. They were so free. And yet now they're stepping back into slavery. Paul says, you don't have to work off your past. You don't have to work off your shame. It's all slavery because you were called to be free. Paul says, you can be a slave or you can be free. And that's what it means to rely on what Jesus has done. We are saved by grace. When Paul says, the Jerusalem which is above is our mother, he's saying, you're already citizens. What are you striving for? You're already part of the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian and you trusted Christ, you're not hoping to be in a relationship with God by trying really hard. It's not a maybe God's going to let you into heaven. It's, it's that we trust God through grace and you are already now his children. You are already now invited in. Paul says, she is our mother, not she will be our mother. Your, your mother city is the place where you were a citizen, the place where you belonged. And if we or the Galatians listen to what those false teachers say, we are going to try and deal with our shame ourselves. We're going to try to cover ourselves. We're going to be moral and religious and end up nothing but a slave. But if we understand what Jesus has done as sufficient when we trust him in faith, then we are free. And all of that stuff just falls off. And you get to walk into grace and hope and new life. Paul quotes Isaiah 54. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. You are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Sarah's a woman in that culture, not having a child. She was in shame. And the reason Paul uses her as an illustration is if you rely on your own human ability, you'll have children, meaning you will have works you do in your life. There are things that you will do out in the world. But when you rely on God's ability, no matter what your background is, your children, the, the work that you actually do in the world, it'll be so much more free and so much more fulfilling because you're not trying to earn. You are resting. And it, so that means we actually do things out in the world and we want to love and worship God in the midst of those. But there'll be so much more when we do them in faith and trust what God has done over us. And this is a metaphor for how Christ works in our lives. There's this old song, we sang it last week, if you were here, called Rock of Ages. And there's this line in the song that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. 
I mean, this is, this is what we do. We don't, we don't come and say, here, look at all the stuff I did, God. We say, God, I have nothing I can bring. And I'm going to rest and trust in your grace. And that means I will step out into this world and love and serve and glorify you in all that I do. You look at Paul, right? Paul calls these people his children. Paul didn't really have any children, though. Paul's someone who hardly had a home. Paul is someone who really could have known shame and disgrace because he loses his career as a promising religious scholar and academic. He is beaten almost everywhere he goes. He's a hunted man. He dies in exile. And yet, Paul does have a ton of children. Those in Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and Thessalonica and in Rome. All these people, because Paul trusted Christ, went where he called him to go. And this is why Paul says, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. See, when we come to a place called church and we say, oh, I'm going to clean my life up so that God will really like me then, that just gives you more slavery than you ever were in before. But if we say, there's nothing in my hands I could ever bring. I'm simply going to trust you. I'm going to trust the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for me because that results in freedom from shame, from law, from our works. And I don't know if this is kind of pigeonholing this into Mother's Day for you, but I know a lot of moms who feel like they just never measure up. You, you see people on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. It's like, I'm a mom and I make this meal for 20 people every day and it's like a gourmet thing. And then I clean the house and my kids look great and they get A's in school. And you're just like, how can I ever do that, right? And you start to feel a little bit like I don't measure up. Here's a little bit of shame. What do I do with that? What you do with that is you say, there's nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I want to trust God for my righteousness. I'm going to trust God for my holiness because he is the one who gives it to me. It is not something I produce. And then you can love your kids in freedom. You can love them in a way that loves them the way that God has first loved you. And that will bring a huge difference to them and to you. Now, again, that's not just for moms, right? That's for every single one of us. It could be in our jobs. It could be in our marriages. It could be in your friendships, wherever it is. Many times we have this thing that just hangs over us that says, I have to do it this way. And if I don't follow through in these ways, I'm just never going to measure up. We come and we say, simply to the cross I cling. I don't bring anything in my hands. I'm going to trust what God has done. And what that enables us to do is live lives of great freedom. Because we are not trying to earn we are simply living in relationship. And then we get to share with one another what God has already done for us. And that brings, again, such great freedom. Every week at Element, we bring you to a place where we invite you to communion, where you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of Christ's blood that was shed for us because he did the work. He gives us his righteousness as a gift. And this is a remembrance of what he has done to bring us into relationship with himself. And so we come to this place and we say, yeah, everything I've been holding in my hands right now, I'm going to lay down and I'm just simply going to trust you with my life. And at communion today, that's what I would encourage you to do, to remember there is nothing we bring. Everything that we have has been given. And so we trust him so we can live lives of hope and grace and freedom. If you need prayer. Maybe you're a mom or maybe you're a dad or maybe you're neither one of those things, but you just have all these pressures you feel like are on top of you and you have to perform for other people or God himself to love you. They would love to be able to pray with you about that, to walk you through the understanding of what grace truly means because grace truly means that we get to be a free people.
a free people. Because God has deemed to love us, not because we are lovely, but because he chooses to. And he adopts us as his kids. And that means that we're wanted. He wants us. And it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Um, I'd encourage you guys to take some sermon notes and ask questions to one another that are in there to kind of reset each of us on what God is doing in our lives. Uh, if you want to give, there's offering boxes next to the side doors. We, we give this way. We don't pass a plate. It's just always a response to what God has done. So you can give online, on the walls. But again, we don't pass a plate because the response is we understand God's generosity towards us. We become a generous people. It just works out that way because of how good he is. And today, I would encourage you to be a people who, if you have never really thought about how much freedom and grace that God has extended into your life, that you'd begin to do that today. We are not children of the slave. We are children of the free, and we get to live in freedom. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would take and move us to a place that we would understand our great freedom. And we have so many things in our lives that we hang on to. And I ask today that you would break the chains that bind us, break the things that we are holding on to that lead us directly back into places of slavery. And it is true that so often we don't even see or notice the things that lead us back into slavery. They feel like they're just part of our normal life. And so today... Teach us to see what things we are holding on to that are not you. And teach us to lay down all of those burdens and to begin to walk in relationship with you to the new life and hope that we have been given. That you would be glorified, that your people would live in joy, and we would step out into the world around us in ways that speak of that joy and that freedom. And when something rears its ugly head that wants to sink its teeth into us and draw us back into slavery, whether it's our own heart trying to be righteous or it's something else that somebody else is putting on us, we would see that and we'd shrug it off and look towards you and the cross and what you've done and we would continue to walk in freedom. I ask that you would use the great good news of who you are to speak to our hearts and continue to set us free and that we would live in that freedom. And we ask that in your son's good name. Amen. So to drop the curtains, just take a moment or two and ask God that question. Is there anything in your life that you are clinging to that you think makes you righteous? I do this thing this way. God's got to be more pleased with me because I'm more pleased with me when I do this thing this way. And to be honest, I think we all have those things. It's like I told you a couple weeks ago. I feel like God loves me more when I'm producing more, when I'm you know, doing more things around Element or helping more of you. And, and if somebody's life like turns around, I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. God must really love me now because I really love me right now. And that's, that's slavery because God already does love you and he calls you to himself. And so what I want you to do is just take a couple moments and say, God, show me what has its hooks in me right now. 
what is leading me towards slavery, even if I think that thing is leading me towards freedom. Show me the places where I'm not truly living in freedom and hope and life. And as he does, lay those before him. Nothing in our hands we bring. Set it down. Come and take communion, sing some songs with us, and head out into this world in a way that lives in the great freedom that God has given us. Matter of fact, next week, that's Paul's main thing. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so, let's live in that freedom.